Hello, and thank you for listening to this Fun Board Council podcast. This is a 15-minute excerpt of our longer podcasts, and the full podcasts are available exclusively to Fun Board Council members via their member portal. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more about membership, please do contact us via our website at funboards.org. In the meantime, happy listening. Hello and welcome. For this session of the INED Bootcamp, we're actually not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about fun boards, but certainly not for the first few minutes of this meeting, but actually take a step back and draw up and unveil to some extent the extent to which governance within the wider context of financial services has worked. Now, if we think about the investment world, there's been a lot of focus on governance in the last five or six years. But when we think about what's happened within banking and the broader financial services world, they've been at it for a lot longer. So we thought it would be very interesting to get uh, what I'm describing as three B-knocks. And if you don't know what a B-knock is, and if you've got teenagers in the family, then ask them, but that's big names on campus. From the banking and insurance world, um, Joanne Jolly, you're very welcome. Uh, Joanne is a senior legal officer with the Lloyds Banking Group. Ross Douglas, uh, similarly so with the NatWest uh, Group. Uh, and our serial INED and FBC's very own David Butcher. So very welcome to all three of you. We're going to focus on a few different themes, and I'd really like to get us started with the one that I suspect a lot of INED spent a lot of time thinking about, which is recruitment. So, Joanne, I'm, 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 I'm going to paint this picture for you, and I'd like you to tell me whether it's actually what happens in, in, in the real world, is a big financial institution like yours, which covers all of the financial sector, really, You've got this one person in a very small room somewhere who's got a very large desk with a big sheet of paper and the names of every INED across your entire organization are written there. And then they're moving these little pieces around, deciding where they should go and where they shouldn't and who needs to be hired and who shouldn't. A question that comes up, I'm sure this is not the case, but a question that comes up is what determines the recruitment policy for, indiv for independent directors on on, on boards, on right across the range of boards that you have within your group? And how does it actually work? So I think for um, Lloyd's Banking Group, it's, I would say, a bit more devolved than perhaps your example um, with one big sheet of paper. Um, so we obviously have our group PLC board. Uh, plus, because we are a large bank with a large insurance company, we also have uh, an insurance board, um, we have about sort of 2,000 legal entities within the group, actually. And they will all obviously have directors on them. Some of them will have independents, some of them won't. Some of them will have um, what we call group non-executive directors. And we do that to sort of fulfill our requirements under the senior manager's uh, regime uh, from a regulatory perspective. So I think very much the group board recruitment is led by the group chairman, and the group company secretary and general counsel. Uh, from the insurance perspective, which is where I, I, I live um, for insurance and wealth, I very much work closely with the insurance board chairman, Nick Pretjohn, uh, and work with him to do the recruitment for the insurance group. And similarly, we have another, another area, which is Lloyds Banking uh, corporate markets, and they will lead on their own recruitment. So it's very much devolved from that perspective. And I think the reason for it being such is that we need different skills and capabilities depending upon whether it's a banking board versus an insurance board. There is commonality actually between the insurance board and the group board because uh, my chairman also is a group 
board director. Uh, so there is that one commonality and we do have group governance that we go through, but predominantly the process is led in a devolved way by the insurance group. So I will work on it with Nick. Um, and then it's very much about what are the skills and capabilities that we require a particular board at any one point in time. We actively manage succession planning and are required to by the regulators. So I have a succession plan for all of the non-executive director roles on the board and their, their subcommittees. And we're very much looking at their skills and capability. And when it is time for recruitment, we're looking at the whole lens across the skills they have and cognitive diversity. Very much so. Thank you, John. You've raised several interesting points. Well, we'll come back to all of them. Uh, Ross, can I, can I ask a similar question to you? And I suspect your answer in terms of the devolved nature might be similar to what uh, Joanne's just described. But if it isn't, please do tell us. Yeah, no, no problem at all. And, and I think that's right. It is a, it's a very similar setup and similar also in the sense we have such a large number of legal entities in the group. So it would certainly be an unenviable task for one person to keep control of all of that. It's really a blended uh, approach to recruitment. Um, in a similar way, we would anchor uh, main board recruitment through our group nominations and governance committee which would manage that recruitment on behalf of the board and make recommendations. But what that committee also has within its remit is some subsidiary oversight responsibilities. So what we would uh, term in our group as our principal subsidiary entities, of which there are a few, those uh, recruitment to those boards would also be uh, ultimately approved by that group nominations and governance committee. So that adds an element of centralization to the recruitment process, even although the, the identification of candidates and the process itself would happen within that subsidiary entity. And then there's a number of entities that would fall beneath that level of principal subsidiary, and those are also recruiting. Principally, those would be internal uh, non-executive directors or internal board appointments, but where there is a regulatory requirement or a particular strategic rationale for an external appointment, that can happen. And again, th those are uh, that's a decentralized recruitment process. Candidates would be identified through the business itself and approvals, certainly for internal appointments, uh, would would happen within that business by the either the CEO or the CFO of that particular customer business or or, or, or services or function uh, where the entity resides. Where there is a proposal to appoint an external uh, non-executive director to one of those boards, the approvals process does come back into the central group um, through an, a, an approval by the chief governance officer and, and company secretary of of the group. So. Really, this is all set out in, in a mandatory procedure that we maintain under our corporate governance policy. So in that sense, there is central guidance, no matter what level of subsidiary entity or entity that we're talking about. And that provides the, the approval steps um, that would be needed for the different types of appointment. But very much echo exactly what Joanne has said in terms of succession planning and priorities and, and, and objectives for the boards when they're looking for new recruits. Um, so it's a well-managed well process with visibility maintained uh, across the subsidiary framework. Thank you, Ross. In fact, you raise a very interesting point about the regulatory requirement. And I suppose the one point where fund boards 
particularly have come in contact with that is the need by the FCA to have two non-execs, et cetera. So that's clearly how that might have worked for you. Let's stick with the uh, topic, uh, the point of visibility, Ross, that you made, but I'll turn to David now, if I might. David, you're slightly on the other side of this uh, story, so to speak. We've just finished a large-scale study looking at the state of um, the non-exec world with, within the fund management in business. And one of the themes that has come up, it came up last year and it's come up this year again, is the absence of visibility of board roles. And, and, and this is not just amongst those who aspire to sit on fund boards or boards in general, but also others who already have board roles, you being a good example of that. Give us a sense from your standpoint, what is your understanding of the extent to which these roles are visible and how easily do they come into the marketplace? Uh, so on the visibility point, um, there, there certainly is a difference between uh, master trusts and independent governance committees and, and also the fund management side too. On master trusts specifically, I would say that the visibility is quite good um, and improving. It's, it's definitely on a positive trajectory. I think that's partly a function of the fact that master trusts do have more authority in their role than uh, members of an IGC and indeed a fund management board. And also partly it's market led because the clients, um, the, the, the leading clients being the employers, uh, medium to large size employers, um, themselves recognize the value of the governance, the independent oversight that the trustees of a master trust bring. So you've, you've got that, in, that immediate advantage in terms of visibility. I guess on the IGC side, the answer is less so. But again, I see a trajectory there that is starting to change a bit. And I think that's really important because, of course, the IGC is, as we know, a committee of the main insurance board. And so it does have a crucial advisory and influencing uh, role to play. And I think just to finish off, I would add that if you look at the roles and responsibilities of master trusts, IGCs and fund boards, my own view is that all of these entities uh, need to become more strategic in their thinking. In other words, to be focused much more um, on the customer on, and on insights about the customer and, and ensuring that everything flows from those insights. Um, and equally, they need to become, become more proactive in terms of their relationships with, with the customers, with the employers um, mm. and with the regulator and by, but as, a, as a consequence of that, with the provider as well. So I think that the strategic and proactive point kind of is a bit of glue there that brings that visibility um, together. And I think given that there are initiatives in the background with regulators, initiatives between the FCA and the pensions regulator, TPR, um, there is the potential for regulatory convergence in the years ahead. That's going to be slow, but um, there are some beginnings. I'm going to come back to this. This is a very important point, and I think it'll become the theme for our next point. But can I just stick with the issue of visibility of board roles for a second and come back to both Ross and Joanne? Joanne, if I can come to you first. As you look at your organization over the last, say, 10 or 15 years, would you say there's been greater pressure to be more visible about the recruitment process uh, and make more of an effort to, to present this to a, the widest possible candidate list? Or is it something you've always been doing? So I think absolutely you want the widest possible candidate list. And when we are recruiting, certainly when, when I can speak for myself, when I'm, I'm recruiting, I'm looking very much for a, for a long list of potential candidates. And I want to think broad and I want to see diversity. 
and I want to see diversity across the piece in terms of um, not just gender um, and not uh, just in BAME space at the moment. I want to see much, much broader than that. And um, we will always start with a with a long list and then obviously try to narrow the field as, as, as we go to find the right candidates. Have we always been that broad? I, I think it's probably evolved um, over time. I've been with Lloyds Banking Group now for seven years, so I can't talk to 15 years, but for seven years, certainly um, it's been a fascinating experience to really um, completely change the board that I inherited and transform it, actually. Uh, we, had, we had no women on the board when I joined. We, we now have over 30%. And it's, yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting process to go through and to see the different sort of skills that people bring and the different ways that people think actually is really important. Customer centricity is always something we're looking for and it is paramount, but bringing the, the additional lenses around colleague, bringing the different perspectives around transformation, change obviously you need your actuarial skills you need your financial skills but also the strategic direction of the board is something that I, I I believe that we've sort of elevated over the last number of years. Thank you John. Ross a similar question to you but I want to sort of press one further point is do you subscribe to the view that maybe all positions particularly in the non-executive space I think that let's just focus on that for a second should be publicly advertised, for example. There should be, because there, there is a movement, to, there, there's a move to suggest there needs to be more of that. Now, clearly, you know, not everything can be done in exactly the same way all of the time, but where does NatWest fall on this point? Um, well, it, <clears throat> it's a very interesting one. And I think this isn't specific to a particular type of board. I think this is something we're seeing quite widely in the industry, a push towards greater visibility and, and transparency in, in, in this field. One example of that is the ring fencing legislation and our structure is subject to you know, that regime and as part of the governance rules within that regime, there is a requirement to publicly advertise all non-executive vacancies on ring fenced body, on the boards of your ring fenced body. So that's a, a, an exact example of, of, of what you're saying there. And that has put a requirement on not just us, but a number of peers. And that does change the, change the dynamic of recruitment. And the objective of that is to bring these positions uh, to the awareness of people who may be interested in applying, who I think historically may not have had any visibility of that vacancy at all. So that's definitely part of a move that, that the whole industry, I think, is taking towards increased uh, transparency. I mean, there's a whole other set of um, things which are, are helping along on that effort. If we think about you know, our disclosure requirements around uh, what search firms are supporting us during the year that we would make as part of our annual disclosures, also requirements through the new uh, section 172 obligations on companies to talk about strategic decisions that may involve big recruitment decisions that have been taken onto boards as well. So we are very much uh, following this move into increasing the transparency and, and awareness. And, and I would just um, also echo the comments Joanne has made around the prioritization for recruitment and being as broad search as possible. But I think there's one other dimension to this, which is the internal visibility of boards and of board roles, because I think what's become apparent to me in some work we've done recently is there is still a disconnect between the organization, if we can call it that, on mass, and then the roles that board directors play as part of that organization. 
We hope you enjoyed that uh, 15 minute excerpt. If you did and you'd like to find out more about how you can access the full recording uh, or about FBC membership in general, please contact us via our website at funboards.org.